So we're continuing uh, in our series called Disciplines, just how to train ourselves up in godliness. So we're just looking at several different spiritual disciplines that we can put in place in our lives that helps us grow in our relationship with Christ. So we've already looked at Bible intake, the importance of that. We've looked at prayer. We've looked at worship. And so tonight we're going to be looking at the spiritual discipline of serving, of serving. So to get us started, I just want to ask you, I want to get y'all's input on this. What do you think of when you think of the word serving? What comes to mind for you personally? Getting involved in your church. Getting involved in your church. Helping others. Okay. Anybody else? What do you think of when you think of serving? Is there a person that comes to mind? Is there a certain activity that comes to mind? Military member. Military member. Okay. So all of these, I think, are great. And so what we're going to look at tonight is we're going to look at motivations for why we serve. We're going to look at what are spiritual gifts. And then we're going to look at practically how we apply that. But what I want us to understand from the very beginning is serving is something God calls all of us as Christians to do. So no one is excluded from this discipline. So if you have been saved, then you have been called to serve. God demands our entire lives. And we see this in the example of Christ. Now, Christ gave everything in service to God. So if Christ gave everything in service to God and we're proclaiming to be followers of him, then we follow his example of giving our entire lives over to service to God. Because here's the thing, if we don't discipline ourselves to serve, then we'll only serve occasionally, either when we feel like it or when we know we can get something back in return. And what we're supposed to do instead is service is not to just be some sort of pastime of our faith. It's supposed to be a priority in our faith. So I think what would be important is I want us to start out this by looking at Mark 10, 43 through 45. I think this will be a great starting point as we move forward. What we're going to see in this is we're going to see how Jesus lays out the foundation where people are saying, like, who's the greatest among you and, and how are we supposed to figure this out? And listen to what Jesus says in Mark 10, verses 43 through 45. It says, but it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus came not to have people serve him, but he came to serve others. And he also said he's the son of man, not the son of God. So he's even humbling himself even more to show that. So if we are to be a follower of Christ, then we are to be a servant of all. Because Jesus gave it all in service to God, then we must follow in his example of giving just all in service to God. So what I'm going to do is we're going to pray, and then we're just going to jump in and study what does this mean to serve. So let's pray first. So, dear Lord, thank you so much for tonight. Lord, I just pray for your guidance as we study this. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you just help us understand all of these truths? Would you help reveal some of these truths in our own lives? Would you reveal how you've gifted us, maybe what you are calling us to do, how you're calling us to serve one another, serve this church here at Las Casas Baptist Church, serve our LSM family? Would you help us with that? It is only by you that you can do this. Yet not I, but through Christ in us. So would you help us, dear Lord, understand this. Help us be humble servants to you. And that'll help us as we serve others. We'll continue to make Christ's name known. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So as you can see, here's truth number one. Every Christian is expected to serve. 
Every Christian is expected to serve. So when God calls people to himself, when God calls people to himself, when God saves people and reconciles to himself, he doesn't call us just to idleness. He doesn't call us to say, all right, cool, now that you're saved, I'll see you in heaven. We're not supposed to sit on the couch. We're supposed to get up, and now we're supposed to serve him. And we do that by serving the church. But what we want to see is, what is our motivation? Why do we serve? So we're going to look at six motivations of why we serve. First one is this, is we're motivated by obedience. We're motivated by obedience. So in Deuteronomy verse 13, or chapter 13, verse 4, we read this. Where it says, you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commands and obey his voice and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. So we should serve the Lord because we want to serve him. It's not just something of, well, I guess I'll do it. Sure. It's something that we, we want. We desire that. We desire to serve God. We're motivated by obedience. And so any true Christian would say, or he or she wants to obey God, but we disobey God when we don't actively serve him. Because God has called us to service him. He's commanded us and expects us to serve him. So we don't serve him. We're actually in the process disobeying God. So we sin. We refuse to serve God. So one of our motivations should be obedience, that we want to serve God. A second motivation is motivated by gratitude. Motivated by gratitude. So in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24, we read this. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. So when serving God seems like a burden, we need to remember all of the great things that God has done for us. So when like that fire of service starts to grow really cold and it's just like, man, do I really want to? Consider all of the great things that the Lord has done for you, even in your own life. God has never done anything greater than bringing us salvation. That is the most amazing thing that God has given us. And that should be gratitude enough that he has saved us from our own sins when we are undeserving of his grace or anything else. And so what has God ever given anyone that could even compare with the salvation he has given to us as a believer? So if we cannot be grateful servants of him in everything, in whom we have everything, then I don't know what else will make us grateful. If God, the creator of everything, has saved us from our own sins. So we're to be motivated by gratitude for all of the amazing things that God has done in our life. The third one is we're motivated by gladness. We're motivated by gladness. So in Psalm chapter 100, verse 2, it says, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. So we're just, we're just full of gladness that we can't help but serve God. God expects his servants to serve with gladness, not begrudgingly, not grimly, not slumly, not complaining, not biting our teeth as we do this, but that we serve him with gladness as we do this. The person who can't, person can't serve the Lord with gladness with just their lips and then not do anything with their lives. We could say, man, I really love serving the Lord, but if our actions speak a whole different story of, oh, I have to do this again, then there's a disconnect there. Because the thing is, a believer does not look upon serving God as some sort of burden, but it's a privilege. We get to serve the creator of everything. The, the one that we were once enemies of, he has now made us children of him, and we get to serve him. So even the best of these can become just 
a miserable slave in comparison with the immeasurable pleasure of serving God. That we are to serve him with gladness. Even just, uh, just several psalms over in Psalm 84, verse 10, we see this truth. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. But even being in the presence of God, even just being a doorkeeper, that we're just happy to even do that because we're just so full of gladness serving God that we're motivated by gladness. Fourth motivation, we're motivated by forgiveness, not guilt. Okay, so we're motivated by forgiveness, not guilt. So there is this passage in Isaiah that a lot of times we use for uh, that Pastor Anders preached on before too, that, that you might have heard before where Isaiah is saying, here I am, send me. But I want us to understand the context behind why Isaiah is saying that. So in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, we see this. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. So you understand this. Isaiah is having this vision where he is before a holy and perfect God. And he says, I am absolutely unworthy to be in front of you, God. Like I have all this sin and everything in me, so I don't deserve to be in front of you. And then we see God takes a seraphim and the tongs and the burning coal touching his lips. That's a representation of God forgiving him of his sins. And so because God has forgiven him of his sins, it's not like Isaiah's going, well, now I just feel so guilty and, and I have to do this. But he's like, no, since you've forgiven me, I just, I can't wait to serve you. You've forgiven me of my sins and healed me. And now I just want to wholeheartedly serve you. So the people of God do not serve God to be forgiven of our sins, okay? We don't serve God to earn more forgiveness because we already are forgiven. We've already earned forgiveness if we have believed in Christ. And so out of that forgiveness, we serve God. That we're just like Isaiah where he said, man, I am so unclean and I'm so unworthy and I'm so sinful and I have all these skeletons in my closet and all these things. I'm totally unworthy. And then God forgives us of our sins. And out of that, we say, I, I just want to serve you now. Because you've seen me in all the ugliness of my life and all of the sins and everything, and you still chose to forgive me. So now I want to serve you out of that because you've forgiven me of my sins. Because Christians are not acting like, let's say, these grudging prisoners sentenced to serve God's kingdom because of guilt. We serve willingly because Christ's death has freed us from guilt. That's an amazing thing. So we are motivated by forgiveness of our sins, not guilt, because Christ has taken it away. Our next motivation is we're motivated by humility. We're motivated by humility. Now, this passage we're going to look at in John chapter 13, I would honestly say is one of the most humbling things for us as followers of Christ. When it comes to following the example of Christ, this is probably one of the most humbling ones. So this is in John chapter 13, verses 12 through 16. This is leading up to Jesus about to die on the cross, but he's with his 12 disciples. And then we see what it says here. So this is what it says in John 13, 12 through 16. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant 
is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So what's very important, I want, there's two important things I want us to get out of this that's important. The first one is washing someone's feet was like, one, just really gross, if we're going to think about it for a second, is like the lowliest task you could think of. Like this was meant for like just a house slave or a servant to do. And you got to remember, it's not like they had like nice, fresh, I don't know, hey dude shoes or Nikes or whatever you want to name shoes. They had sandals. So they're walking around and they're kicking up all the dirt and droppings and everything gross that's on the ground. Feet are probably hot and disgusting. And so Jesus decides he's going to fill a basin with water and tie a towel around his waist. And he's going to wash all of his disciples, dirty, gross, hot, disgusting feet. A task that is meant for the lowliest of people, the lowliest task. Yet Jesus, our Lord and Savior, is willing to do that. So that is the first important like, thing to think about. The second thing for us to think about is think about some of the people that he washed their feet. Two people in mind I want us to think about. One is Peter, who just in a little bit is going to deny him three times. So we see Peter's going to deny him three times, yet Jesus still washes feet. The other one is Judas. Think about this. Judas is about to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Yet Jesus still, with humility and gladness, washes Judas's feet. Now that's humility. To wash someone who's about to backstab you for just 30 pieces of silver. So Jesus is setting the example for us to follow. So he's saying, if I, your teacher, and I, your Lord, has done this, then you are to follow the same example. Because Jesus was the perfect servant. He revealed his greatness in just the lowliest of tasks. But here's the beautiful thing, is that if Jesus has done this, then we have an example to follow. So it's not like Jesus didn't do any of this and said, all right, you go do this. No, Jesus has said, I have done this. So he is going to give us all the grace and strength we need to be able to do these tasks as well. In fact, it says in Philippians 2 verse 3, we see this truth of how we are to view other people. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So that is one way that we are to be humble is we think about other people's needs before our own needs. Because that's very difficult for us because our natural tendencies, we want to think about us. We want to think about what's best for us. We want to serve us. We want to make sure we look out for number one, which is us. When we take our mindset off us and other people, then that slowly humbles us to serve other people. And so we want to serve other people out of humility. So we're motivated by humility. Because here's the true thing. We are never more like Jesus than when we are serving. We are never, ever more like Jesus than we are serving. So if Jesus is willing to take on the lowliest of tasks, which is washing dirty, disgusting feet, and if he's willing to wash the feet of Peter, who's going to deny him, and Judas, who's going to betray him for 30 pieces of silver, then what is our excuse to not serve other people? And then here's our last motivation. We're motivated by humility. Or no, sorry. We're motivated by love. Sorry, it's supposed to say love. Sorry. Sorry about that. We're motivated by love. We're motivated by love. So in Galatians, in Galatians 5, verse 13, we see this truth. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So we've been freed from our sins. We have this freedom in Christ, and we're not to use it to serve our own flesh and our own desires. We're out of love to serve other people. It's out of this overflow of love that we serve other people. 
or in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15, we see this next truth. Where it says, And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, for their sake, died and was raised. So if we're in Christ, we're no longer living for ourselves, but we're living for the one who died for our sake, to free us from our sin. And the lastly, one I want us to look at is Mark 12, verses 28 through 31, where the same one is in Matthew, but it's the greatest commandment that God gives us. So here's what he says. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? So, yeah, remember, there was like 613 commandments. So this guy's saying, hey, which one is the greatest of all of these 613? Here's how Jesus answered him. Verse 29, Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So we are, we are fueled by love, the love of Christ that he showed us, even while we were yet sinners dying for us, that we love God with everything. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That just about encompasses every aspect of our being. So we're to love God with every bit of who we are. And so when we love God with every bit of who we are, then we're naturally able to love other people. So once we love God and we have that love of God shown to us, then we're able to love our neighbors as ourselves. Because surely the more we love God, the more we will live for God. And then the more we will serve God. And so the more we love God and we live for him and serve him, the naturally that'll flow out of that is then we'll start to love others around us. And then we'll start serving others around us. Why? Because we're motivated by love, by the love of Christ. So these are motivations because God expects us to serve. God expects every Christian to serve. So the second truth we're going to see is every Christian is gifted to serve. Every Christian is gifted to serve. So here's what you need to know. At the moment of your salvation, at the moment when you repented of your sins and you believed in Jesus Christ, you believed in his finished work on the cross, and you were brought from spiritual death to spiritual life, in that moment you became a child of God, and then the Holy Spirit came and is now living within you, is indwelt within you. And as the Holy Spirit came and is indwelt within you, he brought at least one spiritual gift. At least one. And he gives you that spiritual gift to be able to use in service to God and to his church. So if you are a Christian, then that means you have the Holy Spirit living within you and you at least have one spiritual gift. And so that is what we see throughout scripture. So if you are a Christian, again, you definitely have at least one of these. So God gave you that for this purpose. So I just want to see real quick what it says in 1 Peter 4.10. Just kind of reiterate this point. So 1 Peter 4.10 where it says, and as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So we are to use this gift in service to God. But then that raises the question of, okay, if God has gifted us, what are the spiritual gifts? What are these different gifts that I've been gifted with? So we're going to be looking at just very quickly, 16 different spiritual gifts. 
And that's what part of the sheets that you have as well is this just straight from Lifeway of just 16 different gifts that we have that you, again, you at least have one of these. So the first one is this is leadership, the spiritual gift of leadership. So the spiritual gift of leadership leads and directs members of the church to accomplish the goals and purposes of the church. They motivate people to work together in unity towards common goals. That people are able to just lead other people, keep people together, and go towards the same common goal. So the spiritual gift of leadership. Second one, spiritual gift of administration. Administration. So people are able to steer others to remain on task. So they're able to organize, keep people together, keep people on the same task. It enables the church to organize according to God-given purposes and long-term goals. There's people that are just so well at organizing and organizing people to work together towards this. So the spiritual gift of administration. Third one is the spiritual gift of teaching. The spiritual gift of teaching. So this is just instructing members of the church with the truth and doctrines of God's word. That they're just gifted in being able to teach God's word to other people, help people understand it a lot just clearly, and be able to live out those truths. So the spiritual gift of teaching. The next one is the spiritual gift of knowledge. Of knowledge. So this might manifest itself in teaching and training disciples. So this is just the God-given ability to learn, to know, and to apply the truth of God's word. You're able to learn, know, and apply the truths of God's word, the spiritual gift of knowledge. Next one is the spiritual gift of wisdom. The spiritual gift of wisdom. So this person is able to discern the work of the Holy Spirit. They're able to discern the work of the Holy Spirit within the church, within the body of Christ. They're able to apply the teachings and actions of the Holy Spirit to the church. So wisdom, spiritual gift of wisdom. Next one, spiritual gift of prophecy of prophecy. So what this is not, this is not telling the future. So that was in the Old Testament and that has already been finished. What prophecy means nowadays, it is just, it's proclaiming the word of God boldly. So at times, let's say when just things seem all uncertain and just things are very, just things seem off the rails and we just need a bold word, that person's able to step up and give just a truthful, bold word, a timely word in that moment to bring people together. That is the gift of prophecy. And this builds up the church and leads the church to conviction of sin. So the spiritual gift of prophecy. Next one, the spiritual gift of discernment. The spiritual gift of discernment. This is someone who has the spiritual gift. They're able to recognize true intentions of those within the local church and those within or related to the church. They're able to test, let's say, the messages and actions of others for the well-being of the church. So they're able, to, they're able to discern if this is truly building up the church or if there's something going on that is starting to divide the church. They're able to discern the actions and messages of people. So that would ultimately helps the growth of the church. So the spiritual gift of discernment. Next one is the spiritual gift of exhortation. Of exhortation. So another word for this would be encouragement. There's people that just, when you're around them, they just, they just brighten your day. They're just able to encourage you like, like nobody's business. They're able to just give you a word that just, just brightens up your day. They encourage other members to get involved with the work of the Lord and to get enthusiastic and motivated for the work of the Lord. They're good counselors. They motiv- motivate other people to service and to stay motivated, stay encouraged in the work of the Lord. 
So exhortation. And sometimes this can come through in preaching and in teaching or just general interactions with the person. The next one is the spiritual gift of shepherding. The spiritual gift of shepherding. So this is a person who just looks out for the spiritual welfare of others. They just have this gift of they care about and they look after the spiritual uh, just well-being of those in the church. That they just, they care for members of the church. Now, I want you to know, this gift is not limited to just pastors. It's not limited to just pastors. Now, granted, every pastor should be a shepherd because every pastor should care about the spiritual well-being of those that God has placed underneath him to lead. But these are just people who care about the spiritual well-being of others and is really good at caring for the spiritual well-being of others. Next one is the spiritual gift of faith. The spiritual gift of faith. Now, what I mean by this, whenever we believe in God, yes, he gives us faith. So what I mean by this spiritual gift of faith is they're able to trust God to work beyond the human capabilities of the people. So when they see, let's say, this dire, con- like this dire situation, and it seems like it's just humanly impossible to overcome or take care of, they still have the spiritual gift of faith, this unshakable faith in God saying, no, 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 I believe that God's going to get us through this, or God's going to take care of us. They're able to encourage others to trust in God, even in the face of just apparently insurmountable odds. They just have the spiritual gift of faith. The next spiritual gift is the spiritual gift of evangelism. Evangelism. So these people are able to lead others to Christ effectively and enthusiastically. Like there's just some people who are just so gifted of, it doesn't matter like what the conversation is. It doesn't matter who the person they're talking with is. It could be a complete stranger on the bus or a train ride or plane ride or just walking through the store. And somehow they're able to just naturally turn that conversation to Christ without it feeling awkward or forced or anything else. And they're able to do it enthusiastically. They're able to just make the gospel so clear and easy and understandable for people. And so they build up the church by adding new members. Now, what we're going to look at in a few weeks, I just want you to know, just because God gifts people with the gift of evangelism to the church, just because God gifts evangelists to the church, does not stop us as followers of Christ, even if we don't have this spiritual gift, that does not stop us from still evangelizing. That God definitely calls all of us to share our faith, just God gives the spiritual gift of evangelism to some who are just naturally a lot better and more effectively at doing that. But we'll be able to study that in a few weeks. The next one is apostolship. It's kind of a big fancy word. What it means by this is is the church sends out, let's say, apostles to either plant churches and or be missionaries. So it's people that go out and they plant churches or they're missionaries to these areas and they motivate the church to look beyond the walls of just the church building in order to fulfill the Great Commission. So they're not just looking beyond the four walls of here. They're like, no, let's get out and go and we fill the Great Commission. The next spiritual gift is service or slash helps. So service slash helps, the spiritual gift of this. So they just recognize practical needs in the church and they just joyfully meet those needs. They're just able to just discern all these different needs in the church, practical needs that people have, and they just joyfully meet those needs. These are a lot of times the people that they really do not mind working behind the scenes. The people you might not ever hear about, they might not ever, let's say, get credit on, like, in earth or on this side of eternity, but for sure, God recognizes their work and sees that. Spiritual gift of service. Next one, spiritual gift of mercy. The spiritual gift of mercy. So these are just cheerful acts of compassion. They're able to empathize with hurting members. 
They're able to just meet people where they're at and have a good job of empathizing with them. It keeps the church healthy and unified by keeping others aware of the needs within the church. There's just some people that are very good at being compassionate. They're able to empathize with other people. Their people are drawn to them in this sense. So the spiritual gift of mercy. Next one, the spiritual gift of giving. The spiritual gift of giving. So they just give freely and joyfully for the work of the church. So this is characterized by just cheerfulness. They love to give. It's a cheerful giver, as we see in Corinthians, that just a cheerful giver. But we also see just they're, they're very, if you will, just liberal with whatever they have. So they freely give, whether it is money, whether it's their time, energy, resources, whatever they have, that they're just willing to give that in order for service of the church, glorification of Christ, and just serving other people. So spiritual gift of serving. The last spiritual gift we see is the spiritual gift of hospitality. Hospitality. So they just have the ability just to make visitors or guests or strangers, whatever it is, just feel at ease and feel welcome. They just have a very welcoming spirit. You might, you might encounter that, let's say, people on our welcome team, that they're just the first people you see, and they're just so welcoming and loving, and just as soon as you walk through the doors, they just help you feel at ease and feel at home, if you will. Or a lot of times, those pe- these same people with this hospitality, they definitely utilize their home. Like, they utilize their home to entertain guests, to welcome people in, to just feed them, care for them. They're able to integrate new members into the church so easily because, they, again, they make those people feel just so welcome at home. So these are at least 16 spiritual gifts that, that God gives at least each of us at least one of these in use for service. Now, I want to just briefly touch on this because this is always some things that people bring up. What about the apostolic or what about the miraculous gifts? So if you don't know what the apostolic or miraculous gifts are, that's in, when you hear about, let's say, speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues, healing, miracles, things like that. There's mainly two camps that you'll hear about. And so those two main camps is called cessationism. So what a cessationist is, is they believe that all of these miraculous gifts were with those 12 apostles. And when those 12 apostles died, then all of those gifts ceased. Cessationism. That those gifts ceased and they're no longer in operation today. Then there's one that's called continuationist, continuationism, where they believe that even though the 12 apostles died, that all of these apostolic or miraculous gifts continue in operation to this day, called continuationist or continuationism. And so uh, we're not going to spend time talking about these things. Here is all I'll say when it comes to gifts as a whole, okay? When it comes to gifts as a whole, wherever you fall in this, ultimately, here's what spiritual gifts are meant to do. Spiritual gifts are meant to glorify Christ, and they're meant to be used in service to Christ and his church. That is the Holy Spirit's job. The Holy Spirit's job is to make much of Christ, glorify Christ, point people to Christ, look at him, and to point people to him so that way they can grow in their relationship with Christ, they can be conformed more into the image of Christ, and they can point other people to Christ. So if someone is exercising a gift, whatever gift that you've seen on this or any of these screens, if someone is exercising this, and using what they proclaim to be a spiritual gift, but it's pointing to themselves, look at me, look at what I'm doing, look at all the amazing things I'm doing, and they're trying to get credit for stuff, then I would question the authenticity of that gift because the Holy Spirit will not allow that to happen. Because again, the Holy Spirit's going to say, no, look at Jesus. Look at how awesome Jesus is. Look at all that he has done. But again, so if you have repented of your sins, if you believed in Jesus, 
then you have the Holy Spirit indwell within you, and he has given you at least one of these spiritual gifts. And one of these spiritual gifts, it's meant to be used in service to Christ ultimately and to his local church. So that now leads to us, how do we practice serving? So how do we practice serving God? And there's at least four practical things I want to give you to help you. So the first one is this, is take a spiritual gifts test. Take a spiritual gifts test. So just as you have one of those sheets that says that breaks down all these 16 um, spiritual gifts, the other, the other staple cheat I gave you is that is just actually a spiritual gifts test that you can take yourselves as well if you want. So it just asks several questions and it asks you to rate from one to five if this is a whole lot like you or really not like you at all or how it is. And at the very end, you can add all these things up and figure out, okay, what are your top three spiritual gifts? You can figure out what are you really strong and what are you really weak in? And it can start to point out, okay, where has God gifted me in that sense? Another one that you can use that I've used before, it's called gifts.churchgrowth.com. This is one I've used where if you don't feel like doing it on paper, if you want to do it electronically, is you can ask, it asks several different questions. And at the end, it'll actually say what your top three gifts are. It'll say where the other spiritual gifts ranked. It'll even say, hey, here's how you can use these spiritual gifts. This is what the spiritual gift means. So it even helps give practical advice on that. So that is gifts.churchgrowth.com. So one is just take a spiritual gifts test. That way you at least know, okay, which of these am I strong in? Next one is ask others. Ask others. Is maybe you're trying to figure out what are my spiritual gifts? What am I gifted in? What, how has God uniquely gifted me in this? And maybe you just need to ask others. You can maybe ask your parents. You could ask any of our LSM leaders. You could ask maybe pastors at this church. Um, you could ask any of the mature believers of this church, hey, what do you see in me? People that you trust and know, what gifts do you see in me? That sometimes it just helps to get an outside perspective outside of ourselves because you will never know until you ask. Or maybe you could take the spiritual gifts test and then you ask other people and maybe when you ask them, it confirms a lot of what your results are on the test. This next one, I just think it's divine irony how all this lines up is we have our missions in ministry fair this Sunday. And so again, what our missions and ministry fair is, is we just have all of our different ministries that we have at this church, and we have all the different mission partners that we partner with all in the fellowship hall. So you can go up and you can see all of these different just uh, ministry opportunities that we have, different ways you can get involved and serve in the church, or different missions partners, just different things that you can get involved in to serve that might, you might be very passionate about as you see these things. And so something I would strongly encourage all of you to do is take that spiritual gifts test before this Sunday. So that when you come in this Sunday, you already have, okay, here's where I'm kind of strong in. So where would this fit in with any of these ministries or missions that our church is a part of? And so that could just be something that helps you even more confirm it. And then lastly, and this is the most important one above everything else, here's how you can practically apply serving is to start serving is to start serving. Well, you might look at it and say, well, yeah, duh, that, of course. But here's the thing is, we could take the tests all day long. We could ask other people what they see. We could go to the missions and ministry fair and we see all these opportunities and see all these things. But until we actually get involved, we'll never know. And so when we start serving these different ministries, we might serve in one ministry and after just a few months, we might think, Ugh, okay, this is definitely not for me. And that's okay. That's okay if you serve in a ministry for a few months and you figure out, okay, I'm not gifted in this area. That's fine. Or maybe you step into a ministry opportunity, you serve for a few months, and you say, yeah, like, I feel very comfortable in this spot. I feel very strong in this spot. 
I feel just this fire burning within me that I love being in this place serving in this area. And that might be what confirms it. And so, but you'll never know until you start serving. You have to start serving before anything else. So again, just kind of break it all down. If you are saved, then you are called to serve. So if you are saved by Christ, then you are called to serve Christ. If you've been saved by Christ, then we have so many reasons to be motivated to serve. With gladness, with the love that he's shown us, with humility that Jesus has served, with gratitude. We have so many reasons to serve, to be motivated to serve. And if you've been saved by God, then the Holy Spirit has been indwelt within you and gifted you at least one of these spiritual gifts that we've talked about to, again, be used in service to Jesus Christ and His church. So if you haven't yet, it's time to get started and to get serving. So let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for tonight. Just thank you for your word. Thank you just for all the different motivations you give us to serve. Lord, would you just help us? Help us starting tonight. Would you reveal just how you've gifted us? Not only how you've gifted us, let's say, with natural talents and abilities, maybe with like our sports or arts or anything else, but, or with our personalities, but would you show us how you have gifted us spiritually? Would you reveal that in us? Which ones you've gifted us in? And would you help us then apply these and serve and use these in service to you? Because when we use these in service to you, it helps us grow more in the image of Christ. It helps us grow in Christ-likeness. And we start serving. That we're never more like Jesus than when we are serving. So would you help us, Lord, reveal these things? Would you help us be people of service? Would you help us, as we saw in Mark 10 at the beginning of all of this, would you help us be a servant of all? Would you help us be last? Would you help us look out for just the needs of other people before our own? That as we do that, as we humbly serve, and as we point all these things to Christ and grow in our Christ-likeness, it helps us become more of the followers of Christ you've called us to be, more of the family of God you've called us to be here at LBC and LSM. And is as our goal is always, it helps us make Christ name known. So which help us even this week start to serve other people and point others to him and make Christ's name known. We pray all of this in Jesus' holy, precious name. Amen.